We found out some uh, amazing news this week. Uh, pastor Geraldo, our Spanish ministry pastor, uh, he uh, found out that without a doubt he's getting, on, it's on its way, his green card, uh, which it's, a, it's awesome. Gabby and, and Gloria as well, and it's been a long process for them, and just thankful for that, and that's just a huge just weight off of their shoulders. Gloria is going to be able to, to work, and I think this enables them to be able to go back and visit family who they haven't been able to visit for years and years and years. Can you imagine? Um, so, good stuff. Um, Pastor Geraldo, he is from the country of Brazil, and uh, one place, uh, or one thing that I want to see would be amazing to see before my time on earth is done is the statue that's there. Have you ever heard of Christ the Redeemer? I mean, it is this glorious statue that is just over the, the city of, of Rio, I believe. And uh, just there is just Jesus. Looks like he's just hugging the whole city. And uh, just there. Can you imagine just waking up and be able to see that every day uh, when, you're, when you're there? Look at that, that, that scene there. You can actually go up. And I've seen people on top of the statue, these crazy people that, you know, jump off of things and do uh, things from, for thrills, but uh, love to go and, and, and to see Christ the Redeemer. That's one of my favorite qualities about, about Jesus, about God, that he is a Redeemer, that he, there is something inside of him, uh, and I think it, he puts it inside of all of us, that likes redemption, that likes to redeem things. Uh, I like it in sports when the person who has just totally blown at the game comes back and is the hero of the game. And, and redemption is found. We've seen it in life stories uh, from a guy like Chuck Colson, who was a part of the Nixon uh, administration. And he was a part of the whole Watergate scandal, goes to, to, to jail for a couple of years. And what happens? He gives his life to the Lord through reading a, a C.S. Lewis book. And then he gives his life to ministry and starts a jail ministry and has written countless books. And God has just used his life redeeming a, a person. We love to see there's something inside of us that loves that story, that comeback story. And I think God likes that, that, that too. And as we look at scripture, as we, we kind of pull where, where God's going to redeem things this morning, uh, just sit that in your mind for a few minutes. If you haven't been with us, uh, we're in the series, If, and uh, basically we're looking and digging into uh, Romans chapter 8. So if you'll flip there now, we're a couple of weeks in, and If has so many possibilities. And just a quick review, we talked about in the first week that for us to really get to the what-if possibilities, you've got to get past the if-only moments of your life, the regret moments that you can just get stuck in, in the past, where if only I'd have done this or that. But God helps us get over those things. And the tipping point for that, to, to get past that, to go where God wants us to go, is the realization that Romans 8.31 is true, that if God is for us, and he is for us, then who can be against us? This reality that God has been for you from the beginning, that he is fighting for you, that he is beside you, that he is hoping for you. I thought about this this week with my, uh, I thought about my friend John, whose uh, birthday was this week. He passed away this last year, and uh, he was a mentor to me. And uh, just remember the feeling that I had when I was around John. And the feeling was this, I believe in you, even when you don't believe in you. Have you been around people like that before? They just say, they just, they, something oozes out of them. There's this, I believe in you. And I feel like that's what Jesus does. I believe in you, even when there's moments where you don't even believe in yourself. Even when there's moments that it looks like it just is all crashing in and just looks like 
The worst is going to happen. I am with you and I am beside you. So when you get to that point that God is for you like that, man, amazing things can happen. And so we talked about last week this as if possibility and that God gives us not just uh, these redeeming moments where he says, I'm with you, but he says, I am literally in you. I'm the Holy Spirit. I'm in you and I want to help you overcome and I want to help you have power. Remember the, the electric electric drill from last week or the screwdriver and uh, then we ended with there's this thought of that we are actually not just orphans but we are part of God's family that we are heirs and that we are adopted by him and that's this as if we are part of this family and so so I thought about this family this week when we in my church growing up in a little small town Alabama we would have the handshaking moment in in service too Uh, I don't know how long that's been around but apparently a few years but we would shake hands with each other, and we would always sing most likely the same song. And it was this song, I'm a part of the family, the family. There's always a guy that sings really deep, the family of God. I was washed in the fountain, cleansed. Thank you. This is where you're supposed to help me out. Join Jesus as we travel this side. Because I'm part of the family, the family of God. There you go. We'd sing it, and we'd shake hands with each other, and like, yeah, we're part of this family. And that's when a lot of people call each other brother and sister, you know, brother Mary, or not Mary. <laughs> I guess you can have Mary. Sister Mary, or brother Mary, depends. Uh, there's a verse in that song, and I don't know if you know, there's actually verses in that song. There's not just the chorus. This is the verse. It says this, from the door of an orphanage to the house of the king, no longer an outcast, a new song I sing. From rags into riches, from the weak to the strong, I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God, I belong. And so there's this atmosphere of family that I used to be an orphan, and that's all of our story. But once we have accepted God's love and forgiveness and grace in our life, then we're a part of his family. Now, I will tell you, in that song, every time I sang it, it there's that, that line that says, join, and I would think it was, join hairs with Jesus. Join hairs with Jesus. Now, that's very confusing as a kid, okay? Because you know that Jesus had long hair, but not so much with you. And so, of course, I, like, I don't know if you ever Google things sometimes. What does it look like if you join hairs? Uh, and so this is what I come up, came up with. Join hairs with Jesus as we travel this side. Well, we're going to dive into Romans 8, and uh, if you've got your Bibles uh, open there, or you can look on the screen or your, your phone, uh, we're at in verse 17, and we're going to pick up on that idea of being a part of this family and uh, what God has for us this morning. It says this, now if we are his children, or we are his children, then we are his heirs, H-E-I-R-S, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That's a pretty cool thought. And if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning 
as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves have had the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently, wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And we search our hearts. He who searches our hearts knows the minds of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And this, this familiar verse, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So Paul is writing to this church, and he's saying this. He said, You're, we're part of this family, but a part of this family and a part of this, this sonship and adoption that we, we have is this, that we will share in the sufferings. There's sufferings in this world. We know this. We can expand on that. And Paul was one that knew about suffering. He knew firsthand about pain. He was not someone that was a was not able to write about it without experience. In fact, if you look at Scripture, uh, you'll see in, in 2 Corinthians, he kind of documents this a little bit, some of the things that he went through. He was stoned, and he was left for dead. He was beaten with rods three times. He was whipped 39 times, five different occasions. Now, why 39 times? Because there was this thought that if you get to 40, that someone could possibly die, and so it was like the worst punishment you could have before death. That happened Five times for him. So five times 39, anyone really quick? 195, says the engineer, and he's right. Um, 195, and there are 135 scars on his back to remember each one of those. 195. That happened to Paul. He was attacked by an angry mob. He had many death threats. He was jailed many times. He was criticized by other Christians. He was bitten by a snake, which that just is the one that gets me right there, okay? He's bitten by a snake, many sleepless nights, was under arrest for two years without a trial. He was shipwrecked uh, three times. He was lost in the desert once. And in one of those shipwrecked moments, he actually was out at sea for 24 hours in the open sea. That one just plays with my mind there. Just floating in the open water, the... Critters, as my dad would say, just floating around you, okay? Ooh. Which of these is, is, that, which of the, is the worst of these, okay? Which is like the one you're like, I want to have nothing to do with that. Turn to your neighbor and say, snake, desert, ocean, ugh. Turn, tell which one you think would be the worst of these suffering things. Snakes, I heard snakes, absolutely. <laughs> so there's, there's a lot of pain for Paul. Now, maybe the verse, this is the one that really drew me into Paul's suffering, okay? He says this. This is the message version, I will tell you. 2 Corinthians 11, 27, uh, or 28 and 29 says this. And that's not half of it. He goes through that list. He says, that's not half of it. Especially when you throw in the daily pressures and anxieties of all the churches. Okay, now what is he saying this? Church people are whiners, and they're hard, and they're high maintenance. And I have to deal with them all the time. And it's not just one church. It's multiple churches. And he's saying, think about that. Think about that kind of suffering. 
It was a lot. Paul wrote from a place of personal experience. And in the middle of all this, and he's writing to people that are hurting, and he's saying, listen. And he's with this draw-in moment. He's like, look me in the eye right here. If he was writing, he'd say this. Look me right here in the eye and say this. I've experienced all of those things, and the pain and the suffering of those moments do not even compare. They're not even the same league as the glory that we are going to experience. Here's a, a person that when he says that, you believe it. The glory of, of, of the future and what God has for us outweighs the pain. It outweighs the pain. In the next few sentences, he talks about how all of creation, and we sang about it earlier, all of creation is groaning and for wanting God to break the curse, to break the curse that's there, this curse of sin and evil and, and, and death and darkness that's in, in the world. Now, let me just give you my quick summary. If, if you're new to the Bible, I honestly think you can, you can break it down into four parts, okay? It's, it's pretty simple. Genesis 1 and 2 is this beautiful story of creation, just the first couple of, of pages here in the Bible. It's a beautiful story of creation and, and the story of God creating. Chapter 3 of Genesis, what happens? The fall. The fall. Man and, and, and woman, they sin and bring this evil and darkness and destruction into the world. Genesis chapter 4, all the way to Revelation, the, the, the chapter we, we read this morning. Revelation chapter 21 is the story of God redeeming his people. Are you with me? The story of God redeeming and, and fixing and restoring the broken because that's what our world is. It is a broken and it is a messed up place. But what happens in the end? Part four, God's return where heaven and earth meet again. There's this new Jerusalem where there will be no, we talked about it, no more pain and there will be no more suffering. And his intention from the very beginning when he made the garden, he created, this was his intention. This is what he said at the end in both places that I can be your God and you will be my people. This relationship that's there with God and man will be restored fully again. And we long for that day and we want to see that day happen. And I don't know if you've ever, you've ever said that in your heart before. I, why not now? Come now. This play we saw over Christmas, uh, Briley uh, just loves it right now. It's, it's one, you probably saw the movie Beauty and the Beast. Did you ever see that? Uh, it's, it's a great story. We saw, it's probably one of my favorite Disney movies. Mel and I saw it on Broadway, and then we, we took Briley and Noah to see it over Christmas. And I uh, love the storyline of Beauty and the Beast, and when you see it a play like that, it just kind of brings it alive, and tons of songs, you, you know, you walk away, you've got, remember the characters, Cogsworth, uh, and Lumineer, and Mrs. Potts, and Belle is the girl, and Beast is the, the guy, and uh, you get these songs in your mind, uh, what's, the, what's the one that just pops in your mind first? Be our guest, be our guest. This is twice I'm singing. I'm stopping now. Um, but these songs I get in your mind, you've got Lumineer. And for some reason, I don't know where Farid is, but I had this moment, and I was watching Beating the Beast, and I was like, I turned to Mel and said, Farid would be a great uh, Lumineer uh, in this. I don't know why that's there, but there you go. But there's great moments throughout, but you hear the different characters. They've been turned into objects, and because of this curse that's on the entire house. And they, they want so badly for the curse 
to be broken, for, for things to go back and to be the way they, they used to be. And Belle comes into the picture. And this is, I think, the crescendo moment of the play. Belle comes in, and the beast's heart is softened. And there's this moment where, where we think that the curse is going to be broken. But what happens? He lets her go. He lets her leave. Now, if I took Briley and Quinn, and I, they're my little girls, four and two years old, and there's a part of me that is really starting to freak out, okay, about the having girls and the, the future. And I've been with teenagers and for a long time, and I know what the future holds. And you guys are experiencing that now. And that just, that just there's just something that anxiety-wise just comes into me when I think about that, okay? And I want right now just to just pick their friends, pick their clothes, pick where they're going to go to school, and... and I'll just pick where they, who they marry. I'll just, or if they marry at all, they can become nuns. It's fine with me, all right? Now, there's somebody in the room that's right now, in the room, and I don't know who it is. Maybe it's Miss Ruth, and she's saying, don't you do that. You cannot do that to, to them. If you really love those girls, you've got to let them choose. You've got to let them live their lives. There's a choice there. You can't just take that. And here's what I know as we think about pain and suffering this morning. That a world without choice, a word with, world without choice, it, it, it might be a good world, but a world with, with choice, and the choice that God's given us is a world full of pain and suffering. And God gave us choice, and thus the world that we have. So we can go to God and say, why, why is this pain and suffering? Choice. We have free choice, and free choice is, is what's gotten us to where we are. But without free choice, is there really love? Hmm. So why? God, why don't you just come back? Why don't you make things right now? Right now. We talked about uh, the prodigal son just a little bit last week. But there's this son about a dad, this story about a dad who, who lets his re- rebellious son go. In the end, we know the end, the son comes back. And I just see this picture of dad on the porch, rocking on the porch like those, those rocking chairs at Cracker Barrel, hoping that you would see just a head bopping over the hill. Is my son going to come home? The moment that he can get up and run to the son. There's a verse in Peter, and it says this, the Lord is slow in keeping his promise The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It's that hope, hope, hope that the Father has for us. Paul continues to write in 828, it's that verse that we know you've probably heard. Maybe you have it on a plaque in your wall or a picture, and it says this, and we know that all things that God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. There's the biblical story that is it's, it's amazing. And if you have a chance to, to check it out, you should. And the, the men's Bible study did a couple of weeks ago. But it's a story of Joseph. And I don't have time to, to expand on all of it. But basically, Joseph, you remember him. He's the one that had the, the multicolored coat that his dad gave him. He's the youngest or the, uh, one of the brothers of, of, of uh, the family. And all the rest of the brothers, I think there were, there were 12 there, that, that said, 
they were jealous and they were, they were upset at the father's love of the son. And, and the, the son, to kind of make matters worse, worse he, he has these dreams and, and different things. And so there's just jealousy and there's just this anger toward Joseph. And so the brothers decide one day that they are going to kill him. They're going to kill their brother. But out of nowhere, they, they decided to change their mind that, that maybe is, is going too far. They throw him in a pit and they sell him into slavery. Do you remember the story? And he's, he's taken into slavery, and he's taken to Egypt. And another bad thing happens, and another bad thing happens, and other things that cause pain. He's falsely accused. He's falsely imprisoned. There's one moment that you get, you're given hope, but in the, in the end, he stays in prison. He's, in, he's, he's there for 17 years. And, and finally, through the, wor- the, the Lord's work, and, and what only the Lord can do, he actually becomes second in command in Egypt. You'll have to read the story to find out. And he, through the Lord's providence... He saves the whole country from famine and says, bring the food, and we've got to prepare and be ready for the famine that's coming. And they were the only ones that really had food all around. And so that brought people from all around different places to come to ask for food. And who would show up but his brothers, the ones that from the very beginning wanted the worst for him and threw him into the pit and sold him. They show up. And there's this dramatic moment where he, he reveals who he is. I am your brother. And the, the brothers are fearful. What's going to be the reaction? What, jo- what is Joseph going to do? Is he going to give us what he, we gave to him? And here's this verse. And some call it the, the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of, so, of, of many people. What you intended for evil, God used for good. He made the evil, he turned the evil, and it backfired on the evil ones. Evil has been brought into the world by an evil one. And there is evil in the world, but the Lord uses it against the evil one, and it backfires fires and what he intended for evil god uses for good now there's that great i love that but god in that and i thought about that there's just some but god moments and i don't know uh we've decided that uh in the house we there's something about a two-year-old saying the word but that just doesn't you know so if you were to ask her to say the word but around uh quinn she would say we don't say but we say booty uh so if you need a comic relief this morning, she is on cue with that. Uh, but there's this great, just but God moment that's there. He takes the pain and the suffering, and he redeems it. He redeems it. So what I've been asking myself the question this week, God, how do you redeem pain and suffering? How do you redeem our pain and our suffering in the world? And can I just be honest? I hate cliches. I'm not a cliche person, even though I play sports, and sports are full of cliches, uh, baseball especially. But I'm not a cliche person. One of the things that I had to do, uh, first ministry stop, my pastor, and I think it was good. He, he wanted me to, to have experience. He was connected to the funeral home. So anytime there was a funeral, I was heading to a viewing or to a funeral. So I've been to tons of those. And one of the things that I will not have at my funeral, and if you've had it or you've been a part of it, this... That, no judgment. This is just for me, okay? The, the, the viewing, the, the line, the receiving line that comes by, 
I cringe at that moment, okay? Because you have like 10 seconds with someone. And there's no way that you can say in 10 seconds really what you want to say. Or, and, and, and I've been in moments where I've been in that receiving line and I, I just ha- don't have words. I, I don't want to say a cliche in that moment. So I just literally, and I'm a crier, I am, and I'm, just, I'm here to admit it, I'll just hug the person, okay? And when you don't know the person very well, that's kind of an awkward thing when somebody you're like hugging and smushing them, but that's just my reaction. I just want to hug in those moments. Because sometimes I think we're so quick to come up with an answer. We're so quick to come up with a cliche. Well, and, and even this great verse, we know that God works all things out for the, for the good of those who love him. I don't want to hear that at certain times. Are you with me? It's hard. My dad's favorite book, uh, and it's easy, if, if you want, easy gift to get him for Christmas because we've, I think we've gotten it, gave it to him several times now in just different editions, but it's The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boone. I don't know if you've, you've read the story of Corey Ten Boone, and, and, and Corey, uh, her, her parents, she's from the Netherlands, and she was hiding out, so her family was hiding out Jews during World War II. And they, they come in and invade her home. They find those who are hiding, and she's taken to prison. And just a horrific experience. None of us can imagine that kind of atrocity or just seeing that kind of pain. And she actually made it through those concentration camps. Her father and her, and her, and her sister did not. And she had to watch those things and be a part of those things and see that. I can't, can't even think of that kind of pain. And she comes out of that experience and goes on to tell people, about God's mercy and his faithfulness and, and specifically about forgiveness, which I can't even wrap my mind around and be able to forgive in those kind of situations. And what she would often do is this. She's amazingly gifted, and she must have been, to be able to, she was cross-stitching the whole time while she would, would talk about the Lord. She'd cross-stitch, and she would make something during her, during her sermon, which I, I can't even like walk and talk at the same time sometimes. She's cross-stitching. And at the end of the sermon, she would show people the back of the cross-stitching. Have you ever done cross-stitch before? And say, have you ever felt like that this, your life looks like this? Just a jumbled mess. And you don't even know the whys and the hows. And the, but when you turn it around, you see something amazing and beautiful. And that's the view that the Lord has. In the moments of your life and how God weaves those things in, in a beautiful way. And for her to be able to say that in those moments. But, but there's no cliches to that. There's no easy answers. And we don't always know the whys. We don't always know the whys. And to try to put it into that little box, it, it, just, it just doesn't work always. So God, how do you redeem? What are some ways that you redeem? These are the questions. Sometimes we don't know why. There was a story about an African, there's a folklore from, from Africa about a king who would go hunting, and he had a best friend that she, he would take with him. And he would go hunting, and, and, and his, his best friend, his, the, the guy that was his next in command, would load his gun for him. And so they're out hunting one day, and the guy loads the gun, and, and, and this friend of his, I forgot to tell you, he just, he's got one phrase that he says all the time, this is good. And he would just say it all, this is good. And it was just kind of his, you know, uh, his, his phrase that he, this is good. No matter, you know, what happened, this is good. So he loads the gun, he hands the gun to the king, and the king immediately, there's a backfire, there's an explosion, and it, it blows off of his thumb. 
And the servant immediately, his reaction was, this is good. And the king looked at him and said, no, this is not good. And he sends the man to jail. He sends the man to jail. And the king, a year later, is out hunting again. And he comes and he wanders upon these, this group of cannibals. And the cannibals, they take him away. And they're, they're, he's on the fire. They're about to, to light the flame. And they look and they see that he has no thumb. And apparently within this tribe, you cannot eat someone that is not completely whole. And so they just totally let him go. He runs to his, his friend in, in prison. He said, I, I have done something that is not good. I have put you in this place. And now you've been here for a year. And he said, I am so sorry. And as he's releasing him and he's coming out of prison, he, he said, the, the man, his friend, said the same phrase. No, this is good. And the king said, why, why is this good that you were in prison for a year? Because I have all of my fingers. That is why this is good. And what if I would have been with you on the hunt? We don't always know the whys, do we? Sometimes they're revealed to us. And that's, that's kind of what I've been praying and seeking this week. What, what are some of the whys? And I think one of the ways that God redeems our pain is he does it by drawing us closer to God. He draws us closer to God in the process of our pain and our suffering. There's a story by a guy named Joe uh, Bailey, and he tells about, about a funeral and a man who lost three children at the same time. And he's at the funeral, and there, there, there are two men that show up to walk beside this, this man who's going through this extraordinary amount of, of, of hurt and pain. And the first man, he's got all the answers. Well, God did this, and this is the reason why God did that. And, and, and God's going to use this, and God's going to help you. And, God's, and, and there's just in a verse here and a verse there, and, and all good intentions, all good intentions. And there was a second man that was there. It, it was the man that, that only spoke when spoken to. He wept with the man. He hugged him. He wrapped his, his arms around him and just sometimes just ate with the person. Have you ever just ate and hurt with someone? And what Joe writes is this. He says, the man who was going to this funeral, he said, I could not wait for the first man to leave. And I could not bear the thought of the second guy going home. I couldn't bear the thought of the second man going home. And this is the picture that I believe that, that we have of God as we are going through the suffering and the pain of life, that God is right there beside you. He is aching and he is groaning with us. He is hurting with us. He is crying with us. And that's the picture that we see. We see it in Psalm 34 where he says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. The message of this version is that if you are kicked in the gut, have you ever felt like you just are kicked in the gut by life, that he will help you get your breath? And there's this picture of God that is, is with us in the middle of it all. Now, this, this passage that Paul writes, he says this. He says, sometimes that the ache and the desire and the, the hurt is so bad that we don't even know what to pray. Have you ever been there before? God, I don't even know what to pray. I don't even know what to, I don't know, definitely know what to say, but I don't know what to do next. And what, what Paul says is this. 
Something amazing happens in the wonder of God that in those moments where your heart is aching, and maybe where you're aching beside someone and you don't know what to say or to do, that God hears and sees our hearts, and that the Holy Spirit, it bears witness to our spirits and prays for us and says the words that we don't even, we can't even say that are there, and those come for us through the Holy Spirit in the middle of the, the suffering. He can redeem us and he can draw us closer to God. I've heard people say this. And as you look back in maybe the moments of your life, I've never felt closer to God than the worst moments of my life. I think he redeems our pain by bringing us closer to other people as well. Bringing us closer to other people as well. In the middle of, of difficult times in life, and, and maybe you remember these days, I've heard couples say this, We've experienced this to a certain degree. When we didn't have that much, when we didn't know where the, the next paycheck was going to come from or the, the next thing to pay for this or that, or even the next meal, we were never closer than we were in those moments. Have you heard people say those kind of things before? There was a video that I saw. Uh, it was, a, I'm not even sure which country, to be honest with you, where it's from. I think it's even an Ikea commercial, and I don't know how Ikea has anything to do with this commercial, but... But here it is. It's about a, a grandfather. It's amazing. I've seen people, when things get difficult, cling to people that they've forgotten. And moments of reconciliation happen sometimes. It's happened in this room, in uh, places where we've gathered uh, for funerals. When you see family and people that you haven't seen in a long time. And God can, can use that. He can redeem the pain by bringing people closer together. Proverbs 20, 30 uh, says this. Sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. Sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. And the reference here is this, is that there are consequences. Sometimes there are serious consequences to our own personal decisions and choices that our choices they bring pain to our lives they bring pain to the lives of others we call this sin and sin does have consequences folks and it can bring difficult situations and there's a there's a bible verse that talks about there's a section that talks about we we, we reap what we sow and when we, we reap things and evil and destruction, those things will come back into your lives and you will see that and it's evident to, to others around you that maybe you don't even see it yourself. There is broken relationships because of sin. There's lost jobs because of sin and the, the hurt and the pain from that. There's just re, families are destroyed because of those as well. And the productive thing that can come from, from some painful moments of our own sin is that sometimes that are in those moments that we are revealed that we really need God. It's in those moments that are painful moments that we cause ourselves, that we say that we see the separation between us and God, and we recognize our need for him, and we need his grace in those moments. And God can use sometimes really painful moments to bring us back to God, to bring us back to him. And he can redeem that pain. He can redeem that pain by even making us more like him. Paul writes this letter, and it's a tough letter. It's one of those letters that basically says, you've blown it. 
And he even says, you know what, I, I prayed about whether or not I should write such a harsh, harsh of a letter to you. And he comes back after that and he says this, and now isn't it wonderful all the ways in which the distress has goaded you closer to God? You're, you're more alive, more concerned, more sensitive, more reverent, more human, more passionate, more responsible. Looked at from the, and, and at my angle, you've come out of this with purity of heart. He can redeem it and, and make us more like him. I thought about this week, Lord, how do, how do you redeem our greatest pains and struggles in life? And the name that came to mind, that jumped in my mind, was Nick Vujacek. Have you ever heard about Nick, his story? Uh, I want to just play just a short video. Uh, Nick looks like a, a, a pretty handsome guy. Some have said he actually kind of looks like me. I don't know if that's true. But, but something you need to know about Nick, Nick was born without arms and legs. Have you ever seen his story? Let me play you just a little bit here. You can uh, just Google Nick uh, Vujicek if you want to learn more about his story. This is what Nick says. God has given me the grace, strength, and, and comfort through my disability, and you can have victory, peace, and joy in your life, even through your circumstances. Nick, had, in his ministry, because of it, 200,000 people and counting have come to know the Lord, to put their faith and their trust in him. God wants to leverage even the most difficult moments of our life for his glory and to help other people as well. In this position, I have been with people in some of the worst moments, some by, by their own choice. And some would say this, well, was it because of Nick's sin that this happened? Was it because of his parents? And there's a story, actually, you maybe remember, John chapter 9, where it says they, there's a man that's born blind, and the question is, Jesus, who sinned? Was it him or his parents to get him the, this way? And what does God say? No. He, he, it's not because of, of their sin, but, but God is going to use it, and he used it to glorify the Lord. And what happens and that one of the craziest stories, he spits on the ground, he makes mud eyeballs, and he goes and he washes in a pool, and he can see. The man could see. And what happens? The man goes, and he tells what happened to him. He tells his story. And that's what God does. He wants to redeem our pain to help other people. He wants us to help other people. And in those moments that I'm with people and they're in the middle of the pain, this is the prayer that I have. Sometimes I verbalize it. Maybe you've heard me say this before. And sometimes I'm just praying it inside of my soul. Lord, let there be the day come. Will they get to the, to the, the place where they can use this to help others? To help others. This, this, this hellish moment of their life can be turned around and to be used for the kingdom of God in some way. That is my hope and that is my prayer. So as we think this morning, as we end this morning, so we think about the if part of this whole thing. Maybe the question for us is this. Who if? Who if? Who is it that you could help 
is what God wants to do, is he wants to take and he wants to redeem the most painful moments of your life to help other people. Maybe you've had a victory over a certain area of your life. Maybe it's a hurt, a habit that, that God has helped you and, and now you can help others. The only way that you can help others if you are transparent, that you are honest, that you say, I've been where you've been. I've hurt like you've hurt, but God can help you. I've experienced the pain that you've experienced firsthand, like Paul can say, and now I can help other people. I was thinking this week about Rick Warren, Purpose Driven Life, probably the best-selling Christian book of all time. A couple of years ago, his son, who had some mental problems, he committed suicide. I cannot think of more pain. I was listening to him write and the things that he would say, and he's saying this in the midst of that kind of pain, don't waste your pain. I'm not wasting my pain. And he has had the opportunity to speak peace and hope into the lives of so many others through that experience. Did God cause that experience? No. Can he use that experience? Absolutely. Absolutely. Back to that statue. Remember the Christ the Redeemer? He's hugging all of Rio. There's something that I noticed that I'd never noticed before. When I looked at that statue this week, that there, if you look close up on the hands, there are the marks of the cross. And what Tim Keller says is this, and we're going to end here. I know, I know that there are people that struggle with this question. I know that it's, it, it's difficult of, of pain and suffering in the world. And if you go to, to, to the cross, and if you look Jesus in the eye on the cross or the crucifix, and you, you ask, why does God allow evil and suffering to continue in the world? You can go to the cross and you might not get the answer always to that question. There's no easy answer sometimes. There's no why that you'll find out, maybe even on this side of heaven. But one thing you can't do, you cannot look Jesus in the eye on the cross and think that he doesn't love you. You can't look Jesus in the eye on the cross and say that he can't use suffering for redemption because he did and he has and he will so this morning as we go to close and the response this morning I, I've been praying about a response and I think the best thing we can do is pray so I'm going to just invite you Garen is going to would you stand with me and uh, I'll tell you, these altars are open. And maybe this morning, your prayer this morning is, God, I am in that hellish moment. I am the hell of life right now. And I need you and I need to run to you and I need to cling to you. I know that you're close because your word tells me. But I need, I need you, God. And maybe it's, I don't even have words to say. My, my spirit just groans. It aches. Would you pray for me, Lord? Or maybe you have someone in your life that's like that, that you need to pray for. Maybe you're in that place of, quite honestly, the reason why you're suffering right now is because of your choices. And that's hard to hear and it's hard to say, but it's the truth. And God is waiting and hoping that you will come home. Or maybe you're at the place where you've experienced some pain. What Rick Warren says is this, it's the 12th step 
you will only get healing. You will only get freedom when you can take your pain and help other people. Are you willing to do that? And maybe that's the question for you. Who if? Who could, who could be affected and who could be changed this morning? I'm going to just, let's just make this place a house of prayer. The altars are open. You can pray at your seat. You can find wherever you want. Maybe you want to pray with someone else. But uh, Garen's going to just play a little bit, and then I'm going to pray for us all. So I just invite you to move and, and to be obedient to the Lord this morning. Father, just thank you so much for your love for us. God, I, I, know, I know that you love us. I know that you love me. There's no doubt in my mind. I know that you're for us. God, I pray that you would reveal that to someone right now that doubts that. That doubts that you are, are, are for them. And you're, you're not hoping and wanting and desiring the best for their life. I pray that you would reveal yourself to them right now. God, I pray for the one that's in this room this morning that they are struggling beyond words. God, and they need your peace and they need your strength to take the next step and the next step and the next step. God, I pray that you, Lord, would be so, so real to them, that you would be beside them, that you would hold them up with your righteous right arm. God, be with us, the church, as we try to hold up others and point people to you, God. Help us to have the words to say we're in those moments and sometimes not even words at all. God, I, I pray that you would be the one for the one that's away from you this morning, God. And they cannot see for whatever reason where their life has taken them and the road that they've traveled and the path that they are on that is just leading. It's just leading to destruction. And if they, as they look back, all they can see is destruction and, and hurt and loneliness and the pain that they've caused. God, I pray that their eyes would be open and that they would turn to you, God. We pray for that for those in this room, and I pray that for those who are not, that are on our hearts today. God, I pray that we will be in that place, Lord, that we would be so available to you, God. Lord, as we look back in the painful moments of, of our lives, and we're in that pain some of us, if we're not in it now, we're going to be. Lord, help us to use those, to backfire those things against the enemy and to, to take what was intended to hurt and distract and to separate and turn them against the one that would want to destroy us and kill us and to help others. God, give us the strength to be honest, to be available, to be used by your spirit, Lord. God, put a, a name in our mind, a face to, our, to our, our heart right now, God, that we can do that. Give us the freedom, Lord Jesus, to be used by your spirit, Lord. God, I lift up my friends and my family in the community today, Lord. You know about everything that's on our mind and our hearts. You know, every family represented in this room, Lord, you know about the things that, that have been spoken and the things that have never been spoken. You know our hearts. 
You, you weave past all the, the mask and all the junk and all the stuff that we try to put out and, and try to put the walls up for, for no one to notice the things, but you know, and you cut straight to our hearts today, God. God, we want to be obedient to you, Jesus. That's my hope from, and my prayer for my friends today, that they would that follow you even in the, the difficult days, Lord. And God, that we would give you praise and that we give you glory and honor because you are the one that is faithful. You are the one that that takes those moments and you redeem them. And so, Lord, we go to you, Lord, and we honor you today and we praise you and we turn our eyes to you, God. We pray all these things in your name. And everyone said, amen. Would you praise with me? Would you sing with me a song that has oh so much to do with what we've talked about today?